lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Nell's lady man, a.k.a. the one and only Aaron McIntyre. Who are you? Let us know and what you think about what we think by emailing the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Uh, you can go to social media sites looking for Steve Dace at Facebook, but they edit, they, they censor and edit. Don't go there. Uh, go to MeWe Parlor and Gab instead or at Steve Dace Show on Getter. Or Twitter, but don't go there because they try to censor us there too. Uh, Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show is where you can go to watch clips of the show that are both free to watch and um, free of censorship. And uh, yesterday, Joe Rogan said he will not be going uh, to Rumble uh, despite their $100 million offer because uh, he is pleasantly surprised that Spotify has stood by him. Now, I'm not exactly sure that if my platform decided to cancel 100 plus episodes of my program, I would call that standing by me, but I'm also not worth $100 million. So maybe words mean more when you are or different. I don't know. Okay. But uh, nevertheless, we're still on Rumble. Okay. Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And that's where you can get the video that uh, the parody that Aaron put together, the the masterstroke, Aaron. I got a ton of uh, feedback in my inbox. Concerned citizens. Uh, from very concerned citizens who were very pleased with, uh, with your update and uh, that it helped them fly the straight and narrow. So very well done. Did you like see what I did there? Yes. All right. Um, also, uh, here's a special bulletin. Uh, Built Bar, two new flavors out right now. White chocolate cookies and cream of the good old-fashioned Built Bar itself. And if you like the marshmallowy puffs better, banana cream pie. They came out with that yesterday, too. So two new flavors. I've not tried the latter. Uh, Aaron and I can both attest to the excellence of the former uh and that would be in line with all of their other flavors for the best protein bar of all time get 15 percent off when you use the promo code dace right now at built.com b-u-i-l-t for built.com promo code dace to get 15 percent off try all of their most excellent flavors when you go to built.com loaded with flavor loaded with real chocolate and protein not loaded with carbs, calories, and sugars. Coming up on the show today, our colleague Phil Robertson will join us. He's got a new book out, Uncanceled, uh, and uh, he will join us to talk about that coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Also next hour, we will play our weekly game of three non-political questions, and then we will continue our Theology Thursday study of Scott Atlas's new book, A Plague Upon Our House, which Erzin was actually like the kid in class cramming to study for the test before the school begins in first period. You were going through that chapter here uh, in real time in the last 20 minutes or so before the show yeah. started, right? Lost control of my life a little bit in you, the last 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, you've got a couple of valid excuses, I guess. But your reaction when you closed the chapter, and then I looked at you and what did I say? It's going to get worse. It, it gets worse. The book only gets worse from here. And this chapter was called The Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Yes, and it's <laughs> it's going to get even worse. It, it, this is just a, an escalating piles of chapter, piles of chapters 
that just get increasingly worse as as de escalate in worseness as this goes on. It it absolutely is going to make you want to hurt people, man. It's going to make you want to hurt people. Unlike, you know, 10 other things in our culture right now that make you want to hurt people, right? So we'll get into all of that and more on Theology Thursday coming up in the next hour of the show. But of course, we begin as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Just One Thing. This weekend, comedian Heather McDonald was about three minutes into her performance in front of a large crowd in Tempe, Arizona, when she abruptly lost consciousness and dropped to the floor. That in and of itself is unusual but not necessarily creepy. It becomes something different, however, when you watch the video and hear what she was talking about before she passed out. I don't mean to brag, I don't care, but I want you to know, double-vaxxed, booster, flu shot, and I'm going to be honest, I have the shingle shot too. And I still get my period. What? Yes! Traveled, went to Mexico twice, did shows, meet and greets, never got COVID, clearly... Jesus loves me the most. Seriously. So nice. So nice. Uh. <laughs> McDonald suffered a skull fracture but was released from the hospital this week. She says doctors have no clue why she fainted. And that's what happened while we were away. This, this is a moment. There is a lot happening here. It, it may summarize the entirety of these last 23 months. And we will discuss it here in a moment. First, though, Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Moink. And if you are tired of the rising costs of the meat in the in the meat aisle at the store and then looking sometimes at the ingredients, you're wondering, why does that need to be in my meat? Uh, Moink delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, all of this direct to your door, which helps family farms across the country remain financially independent outside of big ag with animals that are raised outdoors, fish that actually swim wild in the ocean, moink meat free of antibiotics, hormones, sugars, and all the other junk that you can find sometimes in those prepackaged meats in the meat aisle. You can sign up right now at moinkbox, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. And if you do, get a year of free filet mignon, free Filet mignon for a year. Uh, when you pick out your first Moink box and what you want sent to you each and every month, founded by eighth generation farmers, get your Moink on now when you go to moinkbox.com slash Steve, M-O-I-N-K for Moink, moinkbox.com slash Steve. Again, free filet mignon for a year for free when you sign up at moinkbox.com slash Steve. In the overtime today, um, our colleague Daniel Horowitz posted a tweet earlier this morning 
said, imagine if we had 20 other GOP governors. Let your mind run wild. If we had 20 other GOP governors like Ron DeSantis, what would this country be like right now? So guess what we're going to do in the overtime? That. We're going to let our minds run wild and ponder what would happen. How, by the way, can you guys... Do you guys know how many Republican governors there are in America? Do you know? It's like over 30? Right? Yeah. There's 28 actually 20? right now. Yeah, yeah they, they lost a couple. There were over 30 when Trump took over. Yeah, but it, they still have a pretty clear majority. Uh, they have 28 of the 50 governorships in the United States are held by Republicans. Has it, has it felt like that the last 23 months? It hasn't felt like that ever. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly feels like there's only been like three or four Republican governors for like the last 23 yeah. months, right? Okay, with DeSantis being the one with the highest profile. So we will. We will let our minds run wild. All right. Uh, We will fantasize. Uh, Coming up in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. We will record it right after today's live program. And then it will be posted there later today for you to watch on demand at blazetv.com slash dace. D-E-A-C-E. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, you can also go to blazetv.com slash days to become one. Get a discounted subscription today, just 10 bucks a month at blazetv.com slash days. So this Heather McDonald video, I, I don't know this woman, never heard her name in my life. Didn't, I don't, I'm not big into the comedian scene. I'm sure she is a big star with a big following that I'm not meant, I'm not saying that to disparage her in any way, shape or form. I'm sure she's, yeah, you know, a lot higher Q rating than Steve Dace on Blaze TV. Okay, but I, I'm just telling you, I have no background with the woman like at all. I don't know anything about her. I've never seen her act, never heard of her. Yesterday was the first I'd ever heard of her when this happened, when, when, or when this video went viral. And in fact, I'm struggling because there's, And I knew when we discussed yesterday doing this, one of the rare times we've actually preemptively discussed a montage. Normally we just, it's Aaron's canvas to paint. And you and I just sit back like, you know, watching uh, Bob on, on, you know, uh, public television. Bob Ross. Yeah. When we were kids and just, we are, we marvel at what, what the end product is. Yes. But when this video went viral, this was a rare time we discussed as a team. Should we make that the entire montage? And and I was like, I'm all for it because there's like 30 things happening here. But I, I think I said to you guys yesterday, my fear is when we go to talk about this, I will, I will stall because there's a million things I think. I mean, if the, if a picture says a thousand words, mm-hmm. what does that video say? And, the, and, and you kind of, you want to, you want to just say them all at once. Let's, let's do this. Take a deep breath. And, and how about we just recount the chain of events here? Okay. okay? Keep it simple. Comedian doing a performance brags about essentially signing up to be a ongoing lab rat for for the pharmaceutical industry. She's Israel. Yes. She's, yeah. She's 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 basically Israel. Yeah, yeah. She's essentially she's admitting. And again, I don't know her background at all. I mean, there aren't too many, though, conservative female comedians, right? Do you know? Could you guys think of how many? First of all, there aren't, how many conservative comedians are there, period? Boone Piquito. Okay. I mean, you know, there's a reason why we always have Adam Carolla on all of our shows and we want to talk to a conservative comedian. All right. There, there's, a smor- there's a small go-to list. I don't you know. Norm McDonald's dead. Um, I'm not sure he was a conservative. He just was not insane. 
Fair. Fair. Okay. Corolla is probably the biggest name conservative comedian I can think of. You know, there's my buddy Brad Stein, but it, but he is known within conservative circles. I'm, we're talking about people yeah. that are outside of our bubble. All right. And I'm, I don't know of any, you know, major female comedians, but I don't know a lot of major female comedians at all. I'm, we could probably guess though, that at the same, given what is typical of, you know, that genre, she probably would pride herself on being a my body, my choice kind of gal, right? Probably. Well, then at the same time, after turning right around and saying, oh, and, and here are my credentials as a complete lab rat for um, all, all other corporations are evil and greedy except the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, let me virtue signal for you that I've completely given my body over to them, right? Then if she were to pass out like a European soccer player, that would be like cosmic enough, man. See, I when, I, when we started talking about whether we were going to do this, discuss this on the show today, I had only seen this video. I didn't know what she was saying. Like, I, I don't, I, I'd seen that their video, somewhat, I guess, famous comedian, comedian, uh, brags about getting, you know, triple jabbed, and then shortly thereafter passes out. That's the only, I mean, I had seen the description and then seen the video. I'd not heard the, the actual content. And then, you know, we were talking about it here, on, you know, off the air yesterday, and I turned it up and listened to it. I'm like, oh my. Because wouldn't it just be cosmic enough if that was simply the story, right? Yeah. That, w- that would be more than enough. But that's not the whole story, is it? No. Jesus loves me the most. Are those like literally her last words? Before a couple of just kind of throw away. Yeah. And, and then she collapses on the floor. The, the crowd laughs because they think it's a gag. And I get it. It would be funny. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, Bob Saget was totally healthy enough to tour on his own in his 60s. But apparently not healthy enough to walk around his hotel room on his own without falling and... Uh, and killing himself, right? right. Uh, that, that, I detect a little sarcasm. That, that, I mean, yeah. you know. Okay. You know, maybe like when, when somebody who's 75, 80, 95 does that, you don't, you know. But you're 61, you're out on tour on your own, and you're falling down, and you're dying of a head fall in your hotel room. Okay. Anyway, um, different comedian, but... For that to happen, and then the crowd laughs, because I would think it's a gag too, right? Right. Can you only imagine if that video had gone on and what their reaction is when like medical personnel are called in and she's wheeled it out of there? And then they have no idea, she says. Medical personnel have no idea what caused her to faint. I've got a hundred things I want to say about this. I've narrowed it down to, I'm just for now, I'm just going to say one. Let those with ears to hear, let them hear. That's my analysis, Todd. Well, 
mine can't help. Somebody's got to say it at some point. Uh, God will not be mocked. And that's not just because of what is the functional equivalent of uh, using the Lord's name in vain, which is what happened there. But, folks, the entire vaccine thing, uh, that shtick that she does, ultimately mocks God. It mocks God in terms of the immune system. Mm Mm-hmm. It mocks God in terms of uh, the, uh, you know, constantly belittling the life-giving qualities of women. This is related to what's a woman. Uh, You know, the little gyration that she she does uh, there. Uh, When she says, I still get my uh, period. Well, what about the women that haven't? Is, Is that, is that funny? Do you have any questions as a woman? I, there, there, there was not one word that was uttered in everything we saw that was not mocking the creator of the universe. And that's not unique to her. I can't begin to understand the cosmic nature of why this lot fell upon her shoulders as opposed to any number of men and women who have regularly got up in the morning and promised one thing and one thing only to mock God. But here we are. This, I've watched it multiple times because I, it, it feels impossible and thus, uh, in some way, shape, or form, feels like a miracle. Like we, we have seen something at work that is beyond this world. Hmm. I pray that she, I, don't, I recognize her face and her name, but I've never seen her perform. Maybe she's been a movie I've seen or something like that. But, but I pray that that answer that she got from the doctor, and maybe it's just trying to make this go away for now, but I, I pray she looks deeper than that answer because there's a lot of good answers that she and others clearly need. I hope she accepts them. So, first of all, there are going to be those in our audience, and feel free to you know think through this critically, obviously. We would expect nothing less. But there will be some in our audience and, and a lot of, uh, Otherwise, who uh, uh, agree and believe a lot of the uh, tenets of of Christianity that um, all of us on this show believe, who would be very uncomfortable with saying that what we witnessed in that video is some divine intervention, some cosmic, um, I don't want to say trolling because it's a little bit uh, more serious than trolling, but some divine uh, justice on some level instantly doled out. I get that. My question would be, if this, if this is not that, what would it take for you to believe that something like that could happen? What, what would it take for you hmm. to believe that? That's a great perspective. Um, the, 
the the number of coincidences there just too many too mind-blowing secondly i was thinking about this more last night because i'd heard about this over the weekend and i'm like guys and seriously this is the point where we are now i hear about another soccer player collapsing i'm like okay whatever it's tuesday seriously that's my reaction now because it's happened so many times Hmm. i hear about a comedian i hear about somebody collapsing whatever okay it's probably you know I heard about this over the weekend. I had not seen the video until you brought it up yesterday and I saw the video and I opened it up and I watched it. And thinking about this more last night, I think there is a a distinction, perhaps, that we need to be aware of when it comes to understanding and perhaps relating to those around us who are opposed to us on on some level or maybe many levels. And that distinction is this, especially specifically when it comes to the vaccine. There are those who have received the jab. And then there there are those who have received the jab into their heart. No pun intended. (laughs) Those who have received the jab into their heart, accepted it as their Lord and Savior, sound a hell of a lot like Heather McDonald did before she collapsed on stage. The boastfulness... In science, capital S, science. That my body is not good enough. It was not designed the way I wanted it to be. But now that I have altered it in some way, or injected something into it in some way, now it is whole again, and I'm proud of that. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like a heck of a lot of other things that... uh, that progressivism, that the spirit of the age infects people's minds with. There are those who have received the jab and may be proud of it. And then there are those who have just received the jab because they're just trying to get through. Um, that the former group is going to be a lot louder and a lot more ubiquitous, or seemingly ubiquitous, I should say. But I think that's a key distinction to seeing who really are the, the the cultists here and who are just kind of going along. If they sound like Heather McDonald, they really are the cultists. We still need to pray for those people, um, obviously. But I think that's, an, uh, uh, that's a distinction that's maybe helpful to draw. Several of you, by the way, are emailing me on uh, about Dennis Miller when it comes to mm-hmm. mainstream conservative leaning comedians i mean how do we miss that one right so yeah, you and i, I were, love them yeah. you and i are huge fans but so thank you for that uh correction you're right about that but the fact that that's like the only other name that's yeah. being bombarded in my inbox right now i think probably speaks volumes but um the point that you just made aaron that if you if you don't think this was some kind of a divine or cosmic occurrence then, then what would have to occur in order for you to contemplate that? Yeah. I think that's a very powerful point that he just made, yeah. Todd. Then what would it be? Isaiah 1, where would you yet be struck? Yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what would it be? You hear people say all the time, you know, well, then God, how does a God, how does, why does God not make himself known? I mean, first of all, how do you make you yourself more known? This morning? <laughs> how do you make yourself more known than um, becoming a human being? Okay. 
but I mean, we've, we've done clouds, smoke, burning bushes. Okay. Um, I mean, that just, that to me defies logic. Like even when I wasn't an, even when I wasn't an unbeliever, even when I was an unbeliever, I didn't make arguments like that. Okay. I mean, my arguments were basically centered around, um, I didn't want to worship anything other than myself. A, B, given my upbringing, I had a hard time coming to grips with the idea of an altruistic father um, just as a construct. Yeah, legitimate authority. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then C, wrestling with, and I think this is this is where most people are as unbelievers, wrestling with God is worthy of being acknowledged or worshipped given the state of things in the world. Now, on the other side of this equation, post-conversion, I can see how just nauseatingly arrogant that third position is. Because, well, who am I then to, where, where do I get off being that judge? Where do, I, where, where do I get off judging God? Where do I get off then deciding for myself, forget judging God, then I'm the one deciding for other people, right? And mm-hmm. that equation, not just myself. Um, but there's a reason why we're, we're told in the scripture several times to humble ourselves. It, it's that lack of humility, that, that recognition of what am I responsible for? One of the things my, my, my wife had, had taught me from her therapy training and I've tried to impart it now to, to my son, is when, when a lot of people go to a therapist looking for a referee, somebody to call balls and strikes, to call fouls, uh, when, a, a relationship therapist. They go in there, play referee. Uh, tell, tell him or her, I'm the right one here, okay? And, you know, what, what, what Amy learned in her training is everybody has to take responsibility for whatever percentage of the of the of the reasons you're in here today are your fault. You take responsibility for whatever percentage of those reasons are your fault. Maybe it is 95-5, but you're still on the hook for that 5%. No one's coming in here a complete and total 100% victim. No one is. Okay? I mean, even if you are and my wife would say even if even if you're in a position like I grew up in with my mom being, you know, you know, with domestic violence, we didn't have to keep going back to Dave. We didn't have to do that. We could have left, right? Take responsibility for why you have not done that. What, what is, what, why is it that you think you're so unworthy of finding someone else that would take better care of you and love you better that you keep going back to that? Take responsibility at least for that, right? There's, no one's a zero-sum victim unless we're talking about, you know, things that, you, that are beyond going to a therapist for, Right? that are more like going to, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, uh, the police for, okay. And I think that that's something we struggle with when we look at whether God is worthy of being worshiped is that we're not willing to take responsibility for our actions. We, we demand God give us freedom to make our own choices when he does to some degree, we then blame God for the consequences of the choices we have freely chosen to make.
And I think that if you're willing to honestly look at your own culpability and what about your life you don't like or or our own culpability collectively as a species about this world that you don't like it gets much it, it, i think it, it doesn't get it doesn't get easy but it gets simpler to accept the existence of god but this moment could not be more cosmic. I don't think it could be more obvious. Even the fact that she got up and walked out of there the next morning like nothing. That's, to me, along the lines of the, the, um, the character of a, of, a, of a righteous but merciful God. He sent, message was sent. No need to be punitive about it. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, that's why I said, let those with ears to hear, let them hear, right? Maybe her next comedy tour will be named Road to Damascus. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. But if, if you don't think that's what went on here, or you don't think it's at least possible, I'm not saying for certain it is, I don't know, but I, I think it's pretty possible to bordering unlikely, then what would get your attention? Well, I'll tell you what would get your attention. Admitting that you're somewhat to blame for your own life that you don't like and for the parts of the world that you don't like and taking responsibility for that. More in a moment. Well, if the last 23 months has taught us anything, uh, it is the need to take control of our own health. It is clear you simply cannot rely on big government and big pharma to protect you or your family. Thomas Massey, congressman from Kentucky, tweeted out this morning, could you imagine if we had single-payer single health care in the country right now over the last 23 months, and you were told unless you signed up for three, four, five, six endless jabs, you couldn't then just get basic government health care? Because we were about five minutes away from that. Sure. Yeah. So th- those are the things to be concerned about. That's why you want to check out uh, the Z-Stack from Dr. Vladimir Selenko, world-renowned doctor, one of the first to actually treat COVID clinically, uh, credited with uh, coming up with the successful early treatment protocol for President Trump back in 2020. Uh, and now he has a kosher GMP certified, all produced right here in the USA, Z-Stack. It's one pill, not several of them now, that you can take it together as a cocktail, as a compound right now. Uh, when you go to ZStackLife.com, Z as in zebra, ZStackLife.com slash Dace. Uh, it is formulated to help combat any and all variants as well as uh, help with the flu as well. All right, so you can start taking it now. ZStackLife.com slash Dace. Use the promo code Dace for a discount on your first order. When you go to ZStackLife.com slash Dace, promo code Dace. And my understanding is we'll have Dr. Zelenko on the show here. We're working on it, yeah. In the immediate future, or the short-term future. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to this conversation as well. The name of the book is Uncanceled, Finding Meaning and Peace in a Culture of Accusations, Shame, and Condemnation. The author, uh, our colleague here at Blaze TV, Phil Robertson, and he joins us now here on the show. Good to see you again, Phil. How are you? Everything's going good. Good to see you guys. So, Phil, let's start with an obvious question. 
Why did you decide to wa- to write this book other than the, I don't know, 700 obvious reasons? Uh, but why did you decide to wade into this debate? I just looked around and I thought, shooting, looting, burning, F you with a spray paint on all the walls. I'm thinking out in the streets, sticks with signs on them, do this, do that, do the other. The cancel culture said, well, go with us or don't go at all. Here's a Bible text that I'd like to get going here. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Don't be ashamed of me, the Apostle Paul said. They've got him in jail. So they were the cancel culture was alive and well during the days of the Roman Empire, which, by the way, is no longer a empire. It's gone. Uh they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Well, look what happened to them. By the way, look what happened to every empire. I got a college professor to give me a list of them. They've all had one thing in common. Mm-hmm. They collapse, and ours will be no different unless we change our view of how we see God. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. The, the cancel crowd came to me. They clipped us for about $10 million. But we, we're still here. We have plenty. Uh, God has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed. Jesus came down in flesh, died on a cross, took our sins away, not counting our future ones against us, mediating for us, guaranteed to be raised from the dead. I've never read a story of any religion that had that. I'm like, watch, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, he's destroyed death. I'm not worried about the coronavirus. He said, they said, did you ever wear a mask? No. When I played Roy Rogers as a child, I might have put one on or whatever. <laughs> Cowboys and Indians. I've never worn a mask. I've never gotten them six feet away from somebody at all. You said, you ever catch the coronavirus? No, I didn't. He has destroyed death. I don't need medicine for that. Has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So I tell people, point them to Jesus because he can get us out of here alive. My trust and my faith and my hope is that people would say, uh, Finding meaning and peace in a culture of accusations, shame, and condemnation. Just speak by the Spirit. Come to Jesus. God will give you his Spirit, and you will show people through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. My goodness, Flee from the isms, atheism, Gnosticism, socialism, communism. Flee from the isms. Put your faith in Jesus. You won't have to worry about momentary problems and colds and flus and pandemics. You're a child of the resurrection. That's what I'm trying to get across in the book. The contrast of that message to cancel culture where you're never forgiven it's never you can never make enough alms enough sacrifices it's never good enough 
You, you, and right. you're, you're on a you're a hamster on a wheel. You have to consistently and constantly virtue signal to show that 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 you understand that you are one mistake away. You are one um, defiance of whatever the spirit of the age narrative of this moment is from being yep. condemned and then and maybe never to be heard from ever again. I mean, what, I can't, can you think of a being, Phil, that is known for just endless accusations um, with no mercy, no grace? Does a, does a certain being come to mind that that's sort of kind of his his way of doing things that, that might show you a little bit of where, where this kind of cancel culture comes from. Is it ringing a bell with you at all? Or <laughs> here's what God said about all this. Love is patient. Uh, God is love. You come to Jesus, you find out what real love is. Love is kind. <clears throat> you say love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. And these people are just full of anger. Check this out. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The cancel crowd, they find where you had a misstep 200 years earlier. Some men made mistakes and they chastise them and they say, we will never believe anything you ever said. We found out 200 years ago, you made a mistake when you, and in current people, somebody says something and makes a mistake with some verbiage on a little deal on the computer and they pounce on him like wolves, like they've never sinned. So what they do is they pass judgment on others, and by doing so, Romans chapter 2 says, they themselves are guilty of the same things, and the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. Check this out. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, that's the council culture crowd, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. This is what the council culture looks like. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder. They slaughter their own children, even in the womb. Strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers. Check this out. God haters. They're insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Here's the description of our current culture. They're senseless, a mighty throng of them. They are faithless. There's no Jesus. There's no God. None. They're into the isms. Uh, senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. So we're struggling with these people, but have no fear. Uh, there is one lawgiver and one judge. You say, Phil, are you uh, mad at these people? No. I'm sad when I see these people. I try to point them to Jesus and to show them what real love is. Remember, when Jesus died on a cross and he looked down, he never made a mistake. Keeps the law of Moses, which is a lot. Take the top ten. Children, obey your father and mother. No other God before me. Don't misuse God's name. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cut. 
You're like, he kept the whole thing from start to finish. And look what they did to him. The cancel culture said, I tell you what we do with you. We kill you. Guess what Jesus' final words were? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. By killing him, his death saved the world. When people embrace him, all your sins are removed. They thought they were murdering him. He was given the world eternal life because three days after they killed him, he was raised from the dead. And he said, basically, you want some of this action? All authority in heaven or on earth belongs to me. Go make disciples. Tell them what I've done for them. So that's my lifestyle in the midst of all this cancel culture. The poor souls, I just point them to Jesus. I don't hate them. They're going to answer to a holy God. But judging them is not my line. I'm not a, I'm a sinful human being myself, saved by the grace of God. I said, you guys, gals, you're on the wrong track. Other than that, I don't know what else to tell them. Life and immortality is riding on how they behave, and they don't behave well. Final thing, I've got a couple of minutes here, Phil. What you're touching on here is, see, see, I, I think cancel culture is satanic. Endless accusations, no no ability it for is. forgiveness, redemption. That's 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 Satan's ecosystem, right? And so, if I'm if I'm correct about that, then what you're talking about is really the ultimate solution to this. That if we are dealing here with something that is that that has a political construct, but is largely spiritually driven, it's going to have to be driven out spiritually, just the same, right? It's not a government fix. We have flawed men at best in positions of power. All empires have fallible men or women that run them. You say, what's happened to all of them? They all collapsed. What we need to understand is when you get to immortality and a life worthy of living, uh, when they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness coming forth from a human being, the cancel culture is sitting there looking at it saying, what, what is it with these people? Why attack them? Jesus never made a mistake and they attacked him. They murdered him. You say if they murdered him, they'll murder you. But as it turns out, you just go on to live forever. There's a day of reckoning coming and judgment where God will raise the dead, some to eternal life and the rest to the fires of hell. So I love them, all of them. You say the ones that came and Jesus said, don't take it out on them, leave it up to me. I'm, I'll judge them. You just point them to me and maybe some of them will turn. And you know, you know what? People come down in these woods down here in Louisiana all the time. You say, does it ever stop? There's an endless, endless migration. They come by here, we point them to Jesus, we baptize them in the river, and we get to the next ones. You say, so all are you doing, you're just converting these people. A lot of them say, we used to carry the sign and we were out. They said, but we read some of your books and we thought, what in the world are we doing? So I'm just trying to get the, the, the wicked to come to their senses, put their faith in God, and he'll give them immortality. 
It's just that simple. Not easy, but simple. Name of the book, Uncanceled. I'll be persecuted. I'll be persecuted, but don't worry about that. I'm not worried about that. Uncanceled, finding meaning and peace in a culture of accusation, shame, and condemnation. Good to see you again, Phil. And uh, congrats on the book. Too, uh, much success. God bless you. All right. Take care. Keep the faith. All right. You too. Thank you. All right. Thoughts on our conversation with Phil Robertson? Phil is just Phil. It, it is so, it's a like a warm blanket to hear him talk. And knowing... His background, uh, as everybody does now, where where he's come from, the degree that he was awash in sin, and now the peace that has overcome him. I can't think of a more perfect person. No matter what walk of life, never been in a swamp before, city slicker, whatever, if you really want to sit down in peace and love with a fellow human being, you could do no better than Phil Robinson. Mm. That's uh, that's quite a compliment, brother. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, the the sense of peace that you hear from his voice that he has and I, I think is is an example and going back to the end of that conversation that distinction that he drew at, at the very very end uh, there is th- this is simple not easy but it's simple you're not always going to feel great ne- never you know things are going to be tough we just I don't want to get into too many details but you know sometimes Sometimes here on the show, we hear things outside of the show that are going on in each other's lives that are not tough. But peace doesn't mean you're going to be happy, smiley, go lucky all of the time. Peace just means you know who's really in control. And at the end of the day, you can sleep well knowing that. Even if everything else in your life is out of control and you are being persecuted, which there is fast coming a day on the on the trajectory that our country is on, or those of us who are in positions like this and those of you listening or even having any curiosity about this, see China right now, will be facing persecution. But even in the midst of that, God's work will still continue because he's really the one that's calling the shots. And uh, that can be easy to miss in the fog of war every single day, but it's an important and a, a fine reminder. I had actually planned going into this interview on asking Phil if he thinks we are a culture under judgment. But I didn't ask that question because without me even going there yet, one of the answers he had given, uh, he is quoting right out of Romans 1, where Paul is describing what the characteristics or process is to for a culture that is under judgment. And so I kind of figured, asked and answered, Your Honor, no need to go there, right? He gone. Yeah, he got that one uh, on his own. Um, So we'll come back. Hour two is next. Theology Thursday is next. And I'm just going to tell you, man. This won't be a warm blanket. uh, No. No, it won't. (laughs) All right. Don't have any sharp objects or children nearby because they're going to hear you say words. with hour two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast i'm steve dace he's aaron mcintyre he's totters and you are you steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook me we parlor and gab follow me on twitter at steve day show on getter at steve day show as well rumble.com slash steve day show that's rumble.com 
slash Steve Day Show to get clips of the show for free and are free of censorship. You can also, uh, if you're a podcast listener, please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review and uh, hit subscribe, hit follow. More and more of you are doing that. And the more and more you do do that, the more and more it helps our show. So thanks to all of you that have done that for us already. And of course, if you don't like the show, we would not ever encourage you to lie. But if you just kind of like it, we would act, I think we're totally okay with asking you to embellish that and just go completely overboard at that point. Preach. Yeah. So um, we're fine with that. Don't lie, but absolutely uh, fully embellish if you just kind of like the show. Uh, hit us, give us a five-star review, please. Yes, we are. Uh, we're that desperate and needy. Yes. All right. Coming up uh, here in a minute, Theology Thursday, brought to you by our friends over at Sweatblock. You know, we've been telling you about Sweatblock for quite a while on the show now, and uh, Sweatblock is, frankly, a product I was a little bit dubious of originally, okay? Does it really work? So I tried it myself in the dead of summer, and it does. I, I think the first time I tried the Sweatblock deodorant, we had a, we took a day off and last summer. It was like the hottest day of the Iowa summer. Went out, did a bunch of shopping and, you know, family stuff during the day. Came back. And all that excessive sweat that normally I would have um, needed a, a change of shirts faster than you can say Gary Patterson. Remember him, the TCU coach? Have to change his shirts at halftime, okay? You don't have those problems anymore with sweat block. If you're somebody who, uh, if it's a, you know, a big moment, a big interview, um, it's a date, um, something that, you know, those nerves get going and that excess sweat gets going, sweat block can be there for you. Just take those wipes, apply them to your pits a few times, uh, or maybe only a couple of times a week, uh, and that tends to be just fine. You can use the deodorant that I've used um, and and all of their other great products. They've even got a, a, a deodorant lotion for some of those more sensitive regions, if you will. They can get a little swampy. So if you want to try a sweat block today, doctor created, doctor recommended. Stop excessive sweat for up to seven days per use, uh, and you can use it anywhere. And I mean anywhere, all right, that gets excessively sweaty. And get 20% off when you go to sweatblock.com, promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, to get 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code DACE. So, you know that this is only going to get worse. When chapter four is called the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you look at the amount of book there is still to go and you're like, we're at the mouth of madness in chapter four already. And we're just now getting into the meat and potatoes of this book. The book we've been talking about on the show for Theology Thursday, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Uh, Stanford physician, Dr. Scott W. Atlas, MD, is the author. And of course, a lot of you that are familiar with our show are going to be very familiar with him. We were one of the, it was a race between me and Daniel. One of us was first or second to whoever noticed him first and got him on the air first. And then everybody else began to notice him, thankfully. And that got enough notice from somebody in the White House to bring him in to try to install some sanity. Except, as we're going to learn repeatedly in this book, Even elements within the Trump White House that should have been favorable, should have, should have stood by him, should have helped grease the skids for him, instead made it 
even more difficult to bring sanity uh, to the Trump White House where COVID was concerned. And so why are we going through this book for Theology Thursday? Because we have, we have done a lot of theological topics on, on a meta level or a philosophical level um, or an intellectual level. I wanted to spend this year, I mean, if we're going to have last year's theme was, let you know, the answer is us. This year's theme is let's find out. Those are very practical themes, mm-hmm. right? Well, then I think we should practically know what it what happens when we do say, all right, the answer is us. Let's find out. Um, are there, you know, let's, this is like watching film of your opponent before the next game. Okay. What are their tendencies? What are they good at? What, what do they revert back to so that you are better prepared? And in this case, uh, our scout of the other team happens to be Dr. Atlas. So what did we learn about the spirit of the age from this week's chapter? Who wants to begin? Oh, boy. Uh, well, depends on which person we're talking about oftentimes. Uh, but that uh, regarding you got to start right at the top with the president of the United States. When you, when you find out that he was never in these task force meetings ever, that, that, that blew me away actually that he never attended one. I mean this, when you think about what he's done in his past, how many hours did America watch him in that fake boardroom you know, making Geraldo Rivera, you know, sell some new crazy product. He did all that. He said you're fired over and over and over again. And apparently we spent way much more time doing that than ever in, ever in that task force meeting. So what does that say about the spirit of the age? It means that sometimes it comes with uh, clown car music because that's impossible to believe that's just that's impossible to believe for the guy that was ultimately about the art of the deal and not only this nation but his presidential future needed to perform a art of the deal like he's never performed before over and over and over again and he wasn't even there to perform it I don't know what other, what idol was big enough for him to polish that he didn't want to be in that room. This is the equivalent, I I, I think during the Obama years, wasn't it a big story about him not showing up at uh, daily national security Mm -hmm. briefings? Wasn't Mm -hmm. that a big issue, right? This is, given that this issue had brought the country to a halt, I think this is at least an equivalent to that, if not more so. But- I think the reason that I think he should have been there is it, you may not guess. It's not that um, you go to a national security briefing to get informed because they will give you information that even as president, you couldn't you couldn't get independently. Mm-hmm. That's why you have a Department of Defense and intelligence mm-hmm. uh, a community. OK. In this case. Him not being there allowed them to go and run off, run amok. Yeah. Him not being there and and delegating all of this to Mike Pence 
and and I don't know anybody, and we're going to say this a lot. No one in this book comes off worse than Mike Pence does. Nobody does. And I mean nobody. But delegating all of that to that guy Maybe you think by doing this, you know, one of the things I used to say about Trump when we were trying to beat him in the primary is it's like trying to, he was like Peter Pan. Just constantly trying to avoid accountability and responsibility, right? So I have a, I have a corporation, but it's not, I don't have a board. It's an empire. Um, I, you know, I, 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 one wife, something happens, I get a new one, uh, business goes bad, I used to brag about, you know, I've filed all these bankruptcies and it was smart businesses, okay. There's a pattern here of, of, of avoiding accountability for actions. And in the presidency, and I used to make this argument on the Cruz campaign as one of the surrogates against him, the presidency is one place in this world that you are not going to get away with avoiding accountability, no matter who you are. You, there's no way to do it. And so you you hand this off to Mike Pence. He's the more he's he's been a governor. He's the more experienced executive. All right. Um, and not to mention, if it goes bad, you dump it on him, and he takes all the heat for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That seems kind of like an art of the deal move, right? The the and this goes back to the conversation we had last week. Art of the deal doesn't work against the devil, guys. The devil is the art of the deal, guys. That, that's, it, it's like, hey, I'm going to show Paul McCartney how to really sing Hey Jude. No, you're not, dude. No, you're not. Okay? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Okay? You're not. That's his jam. And this required a worldview of that that included a framework of responsibility not perpetual victimhood potential perpetual buck passing having the weight of the president walk into those meetings and say hey mike i'm going to i'm going to oversee this one if you don't mind this week debbie what you got for me because one of the things that atlas will point out frequently in this book is that the president did have the right instincts but one of the things that you see in this book throughout is that the president rarely puts himself in a position to act or exercise those instincts. Forgive me. What office did I just say he held? A janitor. Yes, custodial engineer. Yeah. Uh, innocent bystander. Was that the Was that the gig? No. I, I, I'm always I'm always fascinated when people tell me. Um. That, well, Trump couldn't do anything. Well, then the guy, I, I, I thought the last election meant an awful lot. I thought they stole the election right. from him. Okay. But then if you tell me, well, he couldn't do anything, well, then I guess it didn't mean anything. Then what was the point of voting somebody in who couldn't do anything? That didn't make any sense. Could he, could he, could he do, if he, the election cannot be maybe finally the most important election of our lifetimes. And I got to say, you know how much we've mocked that saying over the years? Yes. That might have been true this time, all right, given what's happened, given what's happened since he left office. Fair? Fair. I mean, put it this way, 
There's so much crap happening in this country right now. We didn't even get to, oh, guys, confirmed, worst inflation in over 40 years in this country. All right? We can't... <laughs> there are things going on in this country right now that any other time I've been, I was doing this for a living would have been the lead story of this show. We did an entire three-hour terrestrial show or two-hour Blaze TV show about, right? That we just don't even have time to get to because of all the other stuff we're talking about. This might be the one time, the one time I can think of that it really was the most important election of my lifetime, given how this thing has gone to hell in a handbasket. In, in, you know, as, as the great prophet Cousin Eddie once said, crapper's full every day, every day. Jump online, read the headlines, and essentially you could, you could just sum it up with crapper's full every day, every day, every day. So, I, I mean, I wanted him to win. But nowhere does he exert any presidential authority in this entire book. And, it, and in this entire book, not once, not one time. What, 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 how, just one subtle move. If the president would have walked in. So this chapter is about Atlas now formally joining the, t- the coronavirus task force and going to the meetings for the first time. Yeah. With the, now he doesn't have to hide his badge. He, it, he, right. it, it's out. He's, he's, he's out of the closet now. He's on the, he's on the, he's on the task force. What would have happened, because Atlas will tell you in this book of several occasions where he had private or individual conversations with the president about the, the true data of COVID. What would have happened if, if just once the president would have walked in and said, hey, guys, in fact, how about the very first day, this chapter? Hey, guys, good to see you. President Trump, thank you for your hard work here. Vice President Pence, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this one. I want to introduce you to my guy, Scott Atlas. I've been talking to him. This guy knows the data back and forth. I've not met anybody in this. I've not met anybody since this began that knows the data better than Dr. Atlas does. And so he is here at my request. He's my eyes and ears. And I know I've been really busy, have not been able to attend these. But with him here now, consider it as if I am here. And he will be reporting back to me what goes on here to make sure that we're doing the best for the country to reopen responsibly and safely while protecting the most vulnerable. God bless America. Five minutes, one meeting. How much different could things have gone from that if if that tone had been set from the guy in the Oval Office? But that's not an art of the deal worldview. But it's just not, guys. And and art of the deal worldview is avoid accountability, apologize for nothing. And we don't mean this like in the Joe Rogan after the mob sense. We mean this in like no humility on any level whatsoever. None. Okay. And and so that's that's just not that's just not in Donald Trump's worldview. And it was the undoing of his presidency, ultimately. You can order the deal against the Clintons, man. Can maybe order the deal even against Pelosi and Schumer. You can sure as hell order the deal against the Washington Post and the New York Times. I think we learned that, right? He freaking crushed them. But you are not going to order the deal, the devil. You're not going to do that. 
And this is the, and he and he just never exercises any presidential authority in this chapter or anywhere in the book. Which is why it makes so much sense when you read also in this chapter that uh, Fauci basically contributed very little. He just sat there, he came to observe, and then he went off and he knew where all the bodies were buried and he did whatever he wanted to anyways. The White House wasn't a threat to him. He just kind of popped in all the time to see what was going on. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, he that's that's another important point that that and this is something that surprised me learning from Atlas is that Fauci was not omnipresent, didn't even go to all the meetings, as you said. Uh, he was just allowed his own fiefdom. He had, you know, essentially Vichy France going on over here while they were doing their own, uh, you know, thing that he was operating like the Romans in Caledonia. All right. Just showing up every now and then to make sure that uh, they were following his talking points. And he was allowed to conduct his own separate fiefdom aside from the White House blows. To me, that's worse than what I thought. Yeah. What I, what I thought is that they essentially had just made a mistake by granting him a bunch of power and then couldn't figure out how to get the power back. I mean, that's what we all thought from the outside, right? Mm-hmm. It was worse than that. Like he, he thought he was so far above them. He didn't have to come to, he didn't have to report to them at all. He could just do whatever the hell he wanted to do. Just anytime check in, he wanted. make sure they're not talking about gain of function. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's all he did. He supervised them. He checked in. Hey, make sure you guys are not, you know, you're following the script here. And all right, all right I'm, I got it. You know, seven more hits on CNN. I'll see you later. You know, peace out. Blue that that freaking blew me away. That. To me, it's bad enough to just hand the guy over authority because he's got an impressive biography and you inherited him. And then you find out, oh, this guy's a quack at best and something else at quizzling at worse. How do I get it back? That's why we chose the photo we did for our book, because that's kind of what we thought right. went on. You learn from Atlas's book, oh no, he was hardly ever around. He just literally ran his own fiefdom over there at NIAID. And again, no exercise of presidential authority whatsoever. No one stepped in and said, dude, how many votes did you get in the last election? Even worse, they were Nobody did this. They were joking about it, about how does he fit all these appearances into his day. And I Atlas mean, even said that they, uh, in, in, within the White House, there was like a wall with t- all the TVs of all the cable news networks, and you just walk by it all the time and see his face on there constantly. I don't, never be more amazed at anything. Like, you know that scene in uh, Dark Knight Rises where... Bain sets things right. He says, uh, do you do you feel power in in charge at this moment? You know, I I don't understand a a president who would not in the times when he really needs to remind everybody of that. Uh, it's this is this is my show I, because of everything that's at stake. That instinct to not have to, for Donald Trump not to have it in this moment. It it I, the math I'll never be able to make that compute. Uh, it, it it would seem at the worst his failure would be in that doing a bull in a china shop, doing like he was on that panel of uh, when he was running for president and just randomly yelling at Rand Paul down at the end. You think that that would have been his default? His default was to do absolutely nothing. Going back to the original question, what do we learn about the spirit of the age from from this chapter? Um. The spirit of the age, you know, we, we agree, we stipulate that the, the core group of people, Redfield, Burks, Fauci, were driven for various reasons and various motivations by the spirit of the age. We know, we know Fauci was. There were much bigger 
bigger uh, works afoot um, out of this realm, seemingly, uh, that we're, we're driving things here. The overarching belief in capital L's, S science and, and uh, preserving, preserving whatever magical uh, trust in the institutions. That's another topic, but we all agree to that uh, to various degrees. I think what we can learn is that the spirit of the age survives when people who have power do nothing. The spirit of the age then thrives when people who are empowered also do nothing. You and I, you and I watching this right now, we have the power to do just about anything and hold just about anybody accountable. But they keep surviving because we don't do that. Spirit of the age then thrives when it is met with someone who is empowered. So we have power. We are not empowered to go and say, no, you're gone. You're fired. We were, we were not. We are not. Who was empowered to do that? That was Donald Trump. And instead, he delegated this task force to Mike Pence. Who was it? Was it Bill O'Reilly or Newsmax? A few weeks ago, Donald Trump was asked, again, why you didn't fire Anthony Fauci. And he said, because the media would have gone run amok with that would have been some sort of firestorm. Mike Pence in this chapter, Atlas talks about how he thanked the task force members after every meeting. Hey, thanks for con- conveying uh, an air of positivity or whatever the term was with the media about COVID. I don't understand the fear that they had of the media. Yeah. The enemy of the people. And you're allowing them to kick your butt? Really? At least on in, on some instances? Pretty big instance like this? I mean, Trump has admitted that he didn't fire Fauci because he was afraid of the media. Mike Pence kept thanking the task force. Hey, please, please, please say that we're doing a good job here with the media. If they really are the enemy of the people, shouldn't you be at war with them instead of trying to kowtow? support from them did they really believe that we were all in this together even the media was that lie so pervasive i think the 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 overarching thing just to reiterate is that the spirit of the age thrives when people who are empowered to do something about it and confront it head-on do nothing and as todd always says progressivism is cancer and um Seeing where we went even from late 2020 all throughout last year, that cancer metastasized faster than you can say Wuhan lab. Eileen Mulderay just sent me an email as you were talking, Aaron. Steve, listing you bash Trump, thinking you didn't hear Phil Robertson at all. Disappointed, but usually love the show. <laughs> Eileen, I think you didn't hear Phil Robertson at all. Phil began our interview last segment by citing um, uh, Paul's letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. God did not give you uh, a spirit of fear, okay? And Aaron, what did you say Trump admitted to being driven by and why he allowed fear. Fauci to run amok over his administration? Fear. and thank you fear. for bringing that up. I fear. meant to bring up the uh, yeah, th- Throughout the book here, 
throughout the book here, Atlas, previous chapter, was told not to show his badge, yeah. that he was actually being brought into the White House. He was being smuggled in out of what? Out yeah. of what? Fear. 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 Um, they, they, throughout the book here, they're gonna, the Trump White House is going to tell him to, not to, quote, don't rock the boat, okay, out of uh, what? Fear. Fear. Um, Debbie Burks was just allowed to completely run roughshod over the administration out of what? Fear. Fear. Nobody was fired because they were afraid of the media backlash out of what? Fear. Fear. Um, Mike Pence just completely um, was allowed himself to be played by Debbie Burks out of what? Fear. Fear. Eileen, I think you're the one that didn't listen to Phil Robertson last second. Our last segment. Eileen. By the way, um, I'm the boss here. I'm the voter. So are you. So critiquing an employee's work isn't bashing them. It's what I get to do. I'm the boss. I, Trump worked for me. I preferred that he was still working for me, actually. And I spent much of 2020 feeling like I was fighting harder for him to get reelected than he was. And I absolutely believe they stole the election from him. But he let him do this. You know, we were talking last segment as well. You have to take responsibility for whatever percentage of this is, is your responsibility, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, I had this conversation with my son recently. Something unfair happened to him. It was unfair what happened to him. But he put the people that did this to him in a position that they could because of his actions. Doesn't mean that what was done to him was not unfair. It was unfair, and I told him this. But you didn't handle your business, young man. And so you put yourself in a position that they could do this unfairness to you. Handle your business. Handle what you can handle. Take responsibility for that which is yours. And that's what's lacking here is a lack of responsibility. He doesn't take responsibility ever throughout this entire ordeal. And it's, you know, why he's starting an alternative social media platform today instead of presiding over a a robust, rebounding economy that doesn't have the worst damn inflation in 40 years. It's, It's why we went from the best growth of median family income since the the dot-com boom or the 60s to the worst inflation in 40 years. This is why he lost. Yes, they stole it from him, but he left the door unlocked and all the windows open. Doesn't mean that, dude, someone, someone walks in without your permission and takes your stuff, they're still a thief, right? Yes. Yeah, but did we have ballot harvesting drop box elections before COVID? No. Did we have ballot harvesting drop box elections because of COVID? Yes. Yes. Who set the stage for shutting the whole country down? The president. The president, who was then the primary victim of this actual monstrosity. He did this to himself. And none of this would really matter at this point unless we all knew that unless his health gets in the way, he will be the Republican nominee for president again in 2024. I've got Ted Cruz people texting me. Well, you sound like you're full DeSantis now. I texted him back yesterday. Hey, dude. 
There's not going to be a primary in 2024. You're not paying attention. All right. Unless his health gets in the way, Donald Trump will be the nominee, guys. We're all wasting our time even having these conversations. I don't think it's too much to ask to know, have we learned anything from this? Has he learned anything from this? Because I don't know why they just wouldn't try this again. Let's let's concoct some other scamdemic, some other crisis right before an election after you've got a tremendous economy and people's optimism has returned. Oh, lo and behold, you got to shut it down again, Don. This is a big job. It's even a bigger job than stroking his ego. We are literally up against the devil. Okay? The devil, guys. This isn't a game. Have we not learned that after the last 23 months? No, Eileen. You didn't listen to Phil Robertson. wonder how big tech knows so much about you well three little words gives you the answer free email services when you click accept on those terms and conditions you are giving that free email provider the go ahead to scan and analyze all of your email free email services are data hoarders that's why you want to switch to start mail uh, because you want to be done letting big tech make billions by selling your information in your email. Startmail keeps your email private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email in Startmail, it's gone forever. They've also got their own servers, not using a company like Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business. So drop the big data hoarders when it comes to email and social media at the same time. Switching to start mail is seamless. You can easily transfer all of your current email data and there's no worrying about starting over from scratch. Start mail. Backed by some of the most stringent privacy laws in the world. Keep your private information private. With start mail and sign up today, you'll get 50% off your first year. 50% off your first year when you go to start, S-T-A-R-T, for start mail. Startmail.com slash Steve. Start with a T. 50% off your first year when you go to startmail.com slash Steve. I want to say one more thing about this conversation. Because before we go to three non-political questions. Number one, I'm just going to be ruthless in responding to this. So let this one be a tone. The the former president is not a victim. We're the victims. They didn't steal the election from him. They stole it from us. He's lived pretty well the last couple of years. I don't know that they're concerned about the inflation right down there at the Mar-a-Lago. We're the victims, not him. We're the ones that had to fight off Nazi Third Reich level attempts to impose on our bodily autonomy when he was traveling the country with Bill O'Reilly pimping these jabs, okay? This isn't about him. It's about us. If you come to this show, know this now. If you come to this show and you attempt to make it about him, I'm going to make you wish you never came to this show. 
don't. Don't. Number two, I'm not even asking him to do something that's out of his character. Early in his presidency, Donald Trump walked into a room of people, several of whom are either terrorists or funding them in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And he told them, what's up? Now, that took some friggin' balls, dude. Couldn't see George W. Bush doing that. Dude didn't even try to, like, apologize for Islam. That's what he was, that, that's what George W. Bush would have done. Tried to, like, apologize. We know that yours is a religion hijacked by, he didn't do any of that crap. Nope, none of it. Walked in and said, my name's Teddy Roosevelt, or at least you're going to think it is when I'm done. This is our uh, speak softly and carry a big stick strategy. If you mess with us, we will make you wish your daddy wore a condom that night. If you want us to leave you alone, leave us alone. If you want to make money with us, we will make money with you. If you don't, then leave us the hell alone. We don't care. Any questions? That was essentially the speech, right? No fear in that room at all. Walked in like, because I'm the president of the United States and you're not. And lo and behold, what was the end result of that? Historic type of the Abrahamic Accords, historic peace deals all throughout the Mideast, right? Yeah. Stuff we thought we'd never see. Cats and dogs literally sleeping together in the Middle East. If only he had done that once for 10 minutes in one of these meetings, maybe. I mean, you want to deflect responsibility. Scott Atlas walked in there and said, I'm here to take ass and kick names. Scott Atlas went there wanting to be the hockey goon. He went there wanting to be the the Ty Domi. That's what he wanted to do. If only the president would have said, all right, these, these are my eyes and ears. I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing the rest of the day. Have a good meeting. That message would have been sent one time, loud and clear. And the amount of space that would have been created for Scott Atlas to do his thing um, would have changed demonstrably. But instead, it was complete and total passivity. Passivity from March. That, that's why there were two Trump presidencies. The Trump presidency before March 11th, 2020, and then the Trump presidency after. We have all paid a dear price for this. Yes, he lost an election. We lost access to loved ones who died alone. We lost jobs. We lost businesses. We damn near lost our bodily autonomy to his fake Operation Warp Speed. So no, no. Don't come here with the Trump is victim narrative. Or I will make you wish you had never come here. And it will be for your own good. And because it will also make me feel better. 
now time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, we need a little break from the demise and fall of Western civilization. Three non-political questions. Question number one. Not sure how I'm supposed to follow that. That was tremendous. But nevertheless, here's an awkward um, uh, segue. (laughs) I like that you pre-announced that, too. Complete with the awkward (laughs) ums and ahs. What is your Mount Rushmore of Super Bowls? Is that not our entire show? (laughs) We start off with, did God really speak through the collapse of a comedian? Phil Robertson then did Sunday school. If you come at me with this, I'm going to wish your daddy wore a condom that night. Yes. Favorite then, Super Bowls. And then what are your favorite Super Bowls? <laughs> yes. Um, my number one favorite is the Super Bowl after 9-11. I don't ever remember the numbers. When, once we get past, we got past like 25 with the Giants and the Bills, Scott Norwood's kick, I, I just don't remember the numbers anymore, so forgive me. Uh, but uh, the one with the, the Patriots and the Rams... Uh, after 9-11, the first time that a team ever came out without individual um, announcements of players for a Super Bowl, the Patriots decided to come out all as one team. And, you know, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, Tom Brady, a guy that I wanted benched for two years for Drew Henson as quarterback in a team in a Super Bowl. All right. And the halftime show, that's the first time that Fox debuted in the Super the Super Bowl pregame. Everybody read the reading of the declaration with the former presidents. That's that debuted at that Super Bowl. Uh, U2's performance at halftime and, you know, during when the streets have no name or where the streets have no name and the rolling and the scrolling of the names of those who perished on 9-11. I mean, I still get chills and goosebumps thinking about it. The game itself was incredible. I think it was the first Super Bowl, or one of the first. I think there was maybe a Colts-Cowboys game early on that came down to a last-second kick. I think it was also the last Super Bowl for Madden and Summerall, I believe. (laughs) I mean, just, uh, so that would be my number one by far. Um. Super Bowl 15 has to be on the list because it's the first uh, NFL game I remember vividly watching. And it was the Raiders against the Eagles. I think I've told this story before. And this is how I got to be a Raider fan first uh, before any other team. And how much I love Jim Plunkett with the the three chins and and the acne out there and the single bar helmet. You know, that made pudgy little Stevie think, maybe I could grow up and be a quarterback someday. (laughs) I could see myself looking like that dude when I'm his age. All right. And uh, so that game would be on my list. Um, What else? I've I've always loved the the one when the Broncos upset your Packers and ended, you know, like the, the decade plus streak of futility for the AFC. Yeah. All right, that that was that was out at the Rose Bowl, I think, or San Diego, one of those places Diego, in California, yeah. and that was the Terrell Davis game, and John Elway finally got the ring. All right, so um, I'm going to just pick ones I I've, I've watched, so I'm not going to go like 
Joe Namath and stuff before I was born. But so that one, I think I would put on my list and, um, let's go with the David Tyree game with yep. the, the Patriots going for the yep. undefeated season. And David That's Tyree makes that incredible catch and then ends up getting canceled because he dared to be for marriage between a man and a woman and spoke out about it. You guys remember, you guys probably don't remember, remember that story, that right? Part, yeah, 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 he ended up getting canceled for that. But the game with the David Tyree catch against the Patriots and uh, that would have been a chance to see history with another undefeated team. So I'll go with those four. I'll tell you, though, that one that just missed it, just because the, the game is one of the worst routes of all time, but that team was such... A cultural phenomenon is Super Bowl twenty with the the Bears and the Patriots, just because of what that team represented. If you grew up in the Midwest, they were the closest thing we've had in the Midwest ever to the Dallas Cowboys yeah. with those eighty five Bears. But those, I think, are the four I'll pick. And I, uh, I'm, I got to put my my uh, Super Bowl, um, the first of the two five Super Bowls, the one that they won in my whole. So I'm in my gosh. I, 24 maybe when that happens but spend my whole life you know hearing about super bowl one and two and lombardi and all that and so that's on there that bears i mean i'm the same way about that bears team that that team is mythic in my eyes as mythic as any football team ever in the history of football it it just it transcended uh sports so there's definitely that the the giant the tyree catches absolutely has to be on there and I think I, even though I didn't see it, even more myth the, like that the Joe Namath calling his shot one. That's always been again yeah. something, something out of Hollywood. It's always been like the example of why this game is great. So I'll go with that. For me, it's obviously twenty twenty. Um, the next one would be the David Tyree game. I really enjoyed the Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl with uh, James Harrison's long interception return for a touchdown. Uh, even though I was going for the Cardinals in that game, that was a that seemed like it was a good Super Bowl. Yeah, that was a great Super Bowl. Um, yeah. And then the twenty-eight to three Patriots come back. <laughs> that, that was, was a, I was thinking about putting that one on yeah, my list too. That's yeah. just an incredible, an incredible comeback at any level. All right, before we do these next two questions, rapid fire. Let me tell the audience about realestateagentsitrust.com. Um, if, if you want to find an agent that years after you have partnered with them you're still recommending them to people. I, I thankfully had that experience 15 years ago with our agent, Scott Remsburg. And if you can get that, because this is can be one of the most difficult, stressful things you'll ever do in your life, um, particularly if you're doing it the way I was the last time, selling a current house and buying another one, because now you're at the mercy of multiple schedules on both ends, all right? Now you've got the uncertainty of interest rates and everything else right now. Make sure you've got an agent that you can trust and you're going to find them where the name kind of makes it easy for you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates because they got tired of real estate agents that they couldn't trust. So that's why they started realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, just about anywhere you want to move to or from here in the U.S., we can help you find a real estate agent you can trust at realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, impeccable tr- timing for this question. What are the two biggest piece of, pieces of advice you would give first-time home buyers or young couples trying to just find a place to live? Um, I would uh, buy a home as soon as you can because you might as well make equity, earn some equity for you and not for somebody else. That's That's number one. And then number two, I would 
make sure that you seriously vet who your real estate agent is from a work ethic standpoint, from a reliability standpoint. Um, and then if you, you know, if you get into, if you were like, you know, I like that home, I need some updating, who would be kind of my conduits to get that done? You know, my buddy Scott did all that stuff for us. And I mean, I still went to Scott's contacts last year when we had to, you know, um, do some maintenance on our home, you know, with the new roof and stuff like that. So uh, to me, I would, uh, I would, as soon as you can, you don't want to be house poor, you know, the expression where you, you put so much money that, you know, into paying your mortgage, you got no money. But to me, I, I don't know what the point is. If, if you, if you can do it without being house poor, what's the point of paying, of, of earning somebody else equity if you don't have to? Uh, my advice is these home decor and renovation shows are so popular and they're like going to church for a lot of women <laughs> and you need to be sure they do raise expectations. Oh, do they not? And you got yeah. it. Like Steve has talked about, set the standard early on about, you know, home entertainment, but I'm, I'm serious. You got to know that what you're in for and that you understand each other about what you expect a home to be like and how much time you want to spend spending money on or doing projects or things like that because yikes yeah no that's a great uh that's a great piece of advice uh as as like for instance i i have the capability to like finish a basement i don't want to go home every day and work on that some people do and more power to them and that's a great tool i i just i don't have the drive even though i could do it i just don't have the drive um last one if the Muckety Mucks at Disney approached you and asked you to develop a new Star Wars trilogy, no strings attached, carte blanche power over creative content and casting, what's the first thing you'd do? Um, I I would explore the the myths and legends surrounding the dark side of the Force. That's what I would do. That's good. So I would I would. If I were Disney, ultimately, I think the best thing they could do is wipe the trilogy that they just yeah. did out. Yeah. But it's also a little early to do that. There's still a lot of, I think, tough feelings on both sides. So I'd go into my past. Rather than the future, I'd go to the past. That's what I would do. Yeah, and side by side, then. I mean, it, you just there's unbelievable Jedi stories that could be told. I mean, you can just create a new Jedi back around some myth that we've heard something about and do a trilogy around that. I mean, it, it, it seems it, these things are the lowest hanging fruit in the world and somehow we still haven't done them. Um, I would, I think John Favreau already, already works with, with Star Wars a little bit, doesn't he? A little or bit. With, yeah. with Disney. I would just hire him and say, Hey, make a better story than, than the Avengers, the original MCU series. Mm. All right, that'll do it for today's show. We are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.